Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. All right, anyone just like excel at math? Any nerds in the room? Brandy, okay, yeah, you work at a bank. You better be good at math, right? Okay, so uh, Matt, Chad, another nerd in the house. Hello, engineer, math. Okay, for most of us, however, math can be a hard subject. Smarty pants, I get it. But it's tricky. I remember back in high school, I actually did well in math. My ACT score, that was the highest. You know, when you hit that 12, you get really, I'm just kidding. But math was my highest grade in my ACT score. It was my best subject. However, as I've left the math world, math just gets harder and harder. I forget how to do it. So I, and I just, it's not very normal for me to have to even do math. If I do, I ask Siri. Hey, Siri, what's da 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 And so that's how I get my answer, is I'll just ask my phone to give me the answer when it comes to math. Math just is hard. It can be tricky. It can be tough. Today, and how they teach math, I don't get it. It is completely different than how I was taught. Kim just showed me a picture last night I thought was perfect because of Common Core, and she's a teacher for second grade, but she showed me this. 13 out of 10 parents have difficulty helping their kids with Common Core math homework. That doesn't even make sense, right? Because it's so hard. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. My kids will have homework, and they'll say, what's 18 plus 12? And, the, and I'll say, well, that's easy. You add the 8 and the 10. No, 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 Dad, that's not how you do it. You take the 2 from the 12, and you get 10, and you add the 2 to the 18 to get 20. Then you add 20 and 10 to get the answer. I'm like, no, just add 18 and 12. Like, I don't get it. There's all kinds of new rules and all kinds of things that you have to do, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Thank the Lord for Google. So when I am with my kids, and they bring homework to me, and this could be really any subject, and I look at it, I'm like, oh, you don't know the answer? They're like, oh, help me. I'm like, it's easy. Hang on a second. I go to the restroom. Google, da da da. Find the answer, and then come back and act like I knew it all along. And, and that's just how I parent. Parenting hack for you today. Now, for those of you that were pre-Google, you know, as far as your parenting life, I get it. That that was probably even harder. Uh, I was a substitute teacher one time for a fourth. I was fourth or fifth grade. I don't remember the exact class. Whenever they do this, but the class. Typically, when I was substitute teacher, this was years ago, maybe a couple decades ago. This was definitely pre-Google. I would, uh, they, they would come up and ask these questions, and typically, as a sub, I would get a video where I would play, and that was all I had to do. But this time, it was a math class, and they had real work, and they would come up and say, Mr. Hickman, how do I multiply these fractions? And I didn't, I couldn't remember. And that was something I used to, could do and was good at, but I just, it, brain lapsed completely, and I would just make up the answer, just like, I think that's it. So that teacher probably hated me the next day when all the kids got everything wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll take the fall for it. But it was really hard. I, I couldn't remember any of it. Now, one thing I do remember about math growing up, my favorite time was when they taught me about the alligators. Do you remember the alligators at math? Yeah, you, you remember these. You remember these signs right here? They would teach us the greater, greater than and less than through the alligators. That's how we were taught. And so the, the alligator would always eat the larger number. And so I loved the alligator lesson. That was good math. The greater than was going to eat, okay? And so um, Jesus taught math, and, and I worry about who taught him, all right? Now, follow me here, because Jesus taught about greater than. And he said something that made no sense, that you would worry 
about Jesus and his math intellect. I want to read you something. In John chapter 14, Jesus used this phrase greater than in a way that would lead us to believe something was off in his education. He said this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Now he's saying, this is fact. Here's truth. It is written. This is what I'm telling you. Anyone, me, you, anyone, who believes in me will do the same works I've done. Now that's just an equal signs right there, which already makes you think his math is off. Jesus said, you will do the same. You will be equal to what I've done. You will do equal, same thing. What? Jesus, like the son of God, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, walking this earth that he spoke into existence. We're going to do equal things as him. Well, keep reading. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Excuse me? You caught that, right? Jesus said what we do will be greater than what he did. Not just equal to me and you, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, are supposed to do greater things than he did. That should make you a little verklempt. Okay? That should make you choked up a little bit where you can't even process it. Why would Jesus put that kind of pressure on us? You're going to do greater things than me. Do you know who you are? Is your math on? He said we're going to do greater things because Jesus knew it isn't about what we can do, but what the Holy Spirit can do through us. See, us doing greater is less about you and your talent, skills, and abilities, but it's all about what the Holy Spirit can do through you, through your yes being on the table. That's what's required of you, a yes, a here am I, a send me. But the greater things are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things because I'm going, because I'm going to the Father. What he's communicating is like, because I'm leaving you, I'm gone, but you're going to do greater things because I'm leaving you, but not really leaving you. What he's telling them is, I'm going to myself ascend to the Father, but I'm going to send you God as the Holy Spirit into your life. And so for every believer, those who put their faith and trust in God, we have God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within us, residing within us, an indwelling of the Spirit of God. I want to fly through a bunch of verses this morning just to highlight this as a believer in Christ. Holy Spirit lives within us. You might even just write the notes down. The, the, the scriptures will be on the screen. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. And now you Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, have also heard the truth. That would be us. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, when you believed, he identified you as his own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit. Whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him when we believed. Holy Spirit in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. God's enabling them who wrote this and us to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. He has identified us how? As his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God himself 
has prepared us for this even, and as a guarantee, has even given us the Holy Spirit. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 13 and 14, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll read 16 and then chapter 6, 19 and 20. This is what it says. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Chapter 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Listen, over and over and over again, we see this in Scripture, that God dwells within us as the Holy Spirit, and we have a relationship with Him. That's what it's supposed to look like for a believer. It's this real relationship that God, that we have with God as He lives and dwells within us as the Holy Spirit. And I think what we also see in the Scripture for the believer is this other idea of this baptism or feeling, a filling, not an indwelling, but a filling of the Spirit. And that is when the Holy Spirit fills you for a specific task, like Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Or like in the Old Testament, there was not an indwelling of the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus had not come, resurrected, and been ascended. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given for a greater empowerment to accomplish something, sort of like Samson. But the indwelling of the Spirit is this relational aspect. It's this intimacy that we have with God. But sometimes it doesn't feel like relationship, right? Because in most relationships, we see the person. We have a conversation with the person. There's something about the nearness of the other person that brings us comfort. It brings us protection. It feels good. We feel loved because of that closeness or that visibility but when it comes to God, sometimes we don't sense that. We don't sense his nearness, his closeness, and we don't hear his voice. And I want to tell you, if that's the pattern for you and not the exception, then there's a problem. If that's the pattern of your life where you don't feel him, know he's there, don't recognize him, he's not close. If that is the pattern of your life, not the exception, there is an issue. There's a problem. Maybe you know more about God in your head than you have him in your life. Our relationship with God, and we talk about it, it is a real relationship that we have with him. It is just because you don't see him in the flesh does not make it any less real. He is real, and he resides within us. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we have this relationship because he comes and dwells in our lives, and we have this communication, we have this connection, we have this vibrancy, we have this intimacy with him because of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to show you a group of people that missed this. Acts chapter 19, all right? I would love for you to find if it's an app, if you brought a copy of God's Word. If not, we'll have it on the screen. I know most people use some sort of device nowadays. Um, slackers, just kidding. I use a device. I'm preaching. My scripture's on an iPad right now, okay? I get it. Um, but if, either way, if you have it, great. If not, we'll even make it easier. We'll put it on the screen for you. Acts chapter 19, there's this group of people that thought they had a relationship with God. It was assumed. They thought it, but they didn't, okay? And so we're going to see Paul have this encounter with this group of people as he's on a missionary trip in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, 
Paul traveled through the interior regions until he, re he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Now, hold that thought because we immediately assume believer means believer in Jesus, but that's not what this means. And we're gonna understand what it means in just a second, but he does not mean a believer in Jesus. Look at verse two. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse three, Acts 19.3. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Uh, pause here. This means that they don't know yet about the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to a Messiah, but not yet understood the totality of Jesus as the Messiah. They had followed John's teaching, and they had a literal water baptism into John's teaching. If you remember John the Baptist, he was the forerunner. He, was the, uh, he prepared the way for Jesus. He came just before Jesus and said, repent, the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your sin. Prepare the way. He's coming. And they, they believed it, whether they literally heard from John or one of his followers. They were like, we're in. And so they, they were baptized in that teaching. People would be baptized into that. We believe we're turning from our sin, and we believe that the kingdom of God is at hand and the Messiah is coming. And so they believed. But they hadn't yet understood Jesus is the Messiah, that they should put their faith and trust in Jesus. Paul said, verse 4, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, a turning from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. He's like, that's the believer you need to be. Not a believer just in John's teaching. John was trying to tell you about Jesus. And he's come. You need to believe in him. Verse 5. As soon as they heard this, look what happened. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, since we talked about math at the very beginning, let's do some math here. Now, we've got two water baptisms. All right? We had two today. These people got baptized twice. Why did they get baptized twice? Because the first one was not the teaching of Jesus. They had not put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so let me encourage you today. We've got water ready, and we can get a towel. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus but have not been baptized since that moment, you need to be baptized. Just like they got baptized twice. Do you think they're oh, no, can't do it? They're like, oh, makes sense. I got it. We hadn't heard about Jesus. We need to be baptized. And so they put their faith, Jesus, they're baptized in his name. Verse 6, then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, this is very similar to what happens at Pentecost, and we're going to unpack that next week. Come back, 930, 11 o'clock. Be here next week, Facebook Live, be here. We're going to unpack Pentecost and, look, and, and take a deeper look into that. But here the Holy Spirit comes into their life and they speak a known language. It is a language that is known that, that God empowers them to speak. Now this sign specifically is mentioned three times in Acts. And it's not mentioned with every conversion. There's three specific times this is mentioned. So I think each instance has a meaning. There's a purpose to it. Why did the scripture allow that to be recorded? Why was it recorded? I think it happens here as an outward sign to say the ministry of Jesus is superior to the ministry of John. 
It's like the ministry of Jesus is far superior to the ministry of John. They go hand in hand, but Jesus is the one you put your faith in, you believe in, not just what John said, but in who John talked about Jesus Christ. Now, here's where I want to camp out with, because I think many people are still in the same place as this group. They're still like these people in Ephesus. Their, their belief is in a state of being void of the Holy Spirit. There, there's no intimacy there. There's no relationship. I think some people have heard of the Holy Spirit in a doctrinal sense. They know that the Holy Spirit exists, but there's no real relationship. There's no real intera- interaction. There's no dependence on him. It's all head. It hasn't made its way to the heart. So I want to understand these 12 better. Why did they not know the resurrected Jesus? We can kind of figure this out, which is kind of cool that Scripture allows us into this. But if we go back a chapter, Acts chapter 18, just flip over there or swipe over there, however you need to get there. Acts chapter 18, verse 24, we're going to see some of this area and what's happening on. Acts 18, 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. There's passion, there's fervor, there's zeal, and what he knows, he's speaking correctly. But look, however, he knew only about John's baptism. So that's all he's teaching. He didn't know all about Jesus. But look what happens. Verse 26, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Hey, Apollos, you're really good. You're gifted, but you don't know the whole picture yet. I can't wait to tell you. Let me tell you what happens to Jesus. So in Ephesus, in this time, you had well-intentioned teachers that taught with passion, with zeal, but they didn't have the whole picture. So they didn't give, they they fell just short of helping people fully understand the gospel. Now they were well-intentioned, they're doing the best that they can. They just didn't know the whole story. So thankfully there were two believers, a man, a woman. God used this woman, God used this man to say, let me help you out. And they helped out people in that area. And then Paul, we see in chapter 19, helps out the 12. Give them the bigger picture of Jesus. And so that's our goal. In this series, I want you to hang around. I want you to stay with us as we really unpack the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there's a mystery to the Holy Spirit. Let's just be real. It, it, the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. And it, it causes us, I think, sometimes to avoid the Spirit. Because whether it's abuse of the Spirit or we just don't get it fully or the mystery of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of like the crazy uncle at the family reunion. You know he's there, but it's just best to avoid him, right? That's kind of how we treat the Holy Spirit. It's old crazy uncle HS. (laughs) And we avoid the Holy Spirit. We can't do that because it's a game changer. Because what did Jesus say? I got to go away. And because I'm going away, you're going to do greater things than me. Equal to, which is already like, whoa, But then we're going to add greater than what Jesus did. Double woe. Woe, woe. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, it's not just that Jesus said we would do greater things. He also said something very interesting in John chapter 16. I want to offer you a moment to turn there real quick. John chapter 16, because we're going to read 5, 6, 7. We'll take a break, and then we'll keep reading some more out of John chapter 16. But here, Jesus is talking about... 
the Holy Spirit. And you know what's odd now? So I, I've been able to preach in many locations and many seasons of life. And used to, you would say, hey, find John chapter 16. And you would hear the, the pages turn. Like that was music to the ears of a preacher. Now you hear. <laughs> no, you don't hear anything, right? It's just like, I wish I could even, I can't even make a noise. I don't know why I'm trying to. It's just, I see you, which is great. And, and, and I love that. But I'm giving you time and stalling. John chapter 16. Hopefully I've stalled enough. Chapter 5. Or chapter 16, verse 5, says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, that he was going away. Verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now think for a moment how absurd this idea must have seemed to these disciples. It would be to their advantage that Jesus would go away. They had to have thought that was ridiculous. They just spent three years with him, watching him perform miracle after miracle, learning from him as he gave master sermon after master sermon. They were even sent by Jesus to do ministry. They've walked with him, talked with him, and he said, it's better, you better hope that I go away, Jesus is saying. You need to wish that upon me, that I leave you. I mean, what would it have been like to have been around the all-knowing, miracle-working God of the universe and then him to tell you, hey, don't, don't feel sad for me. I got to go away. It is better for me to leave. Really? then you being right here, it's better for you to leave for me. According to verse 7, it's better for Jesus to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come and do his job. Now think about that. The ramifications of this are huge because this is what this means. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus right smack dab beside you. Let that hit home for a minute. The Spirit inside you. Believer, if you have, put your faith and trust in Jesus. The spirit inside you is better for you than for Jesus to be right here beside you in that seat. That seems crazy. But it's true. That's what Jesus said. Now be honest, is that your experience? Do you feel as though your relationship with the Holy Spirit is better than if you had Jesus as a personal companion, your BFFFFF? Do you feel that? Do you sense that? If the answer is it wouldn't seem better, then you're missing something. Maybe you're like those in Ephesus, still waiting to really put their faith in Jesus. But Jesus says, it's better for me to go. Because the advocate will come, the Holy Spirit. And that's where this relationship with God really flourishes because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Look at verse 8. Jesus describes a couple things the Holy Spirit will do that is better. And that's why he needs to go away. And when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, verse 8, he will convict. This is the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. 
righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will, become, will, will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. He's like, you can't handle it all now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is even going to be a better teacher. The, the Spirit can speak to the depths of your heart and at the perfect time, right when it's needed most, and will guide you into truth. If you have the Holy Spirit, your life should be marked by truth. You should be living out truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Guide you into truth. Teaches you truth. Your life should be a life of living out truth. Truth. I also want to highlight Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin. It isn't your job to convict people. It's not your job. Ultimately, it isn't you that makes people feel bad about sin. It's God's job. Specifically, it's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, does that mean you don't take a stand? No, you take a stand. You speak truth. Boldly, you live a holy life, and you let the Holy Spirit convict others you let how you live your life what you say through the gospel and speaking truth and let the holy spirit convict someone so that they're aware that they're offending a holy god with their sin that's not our job to convict them it is the holy spirit's job chances are you personally have experiences you know you've screwed up at some point and the holy spirit convicted you now, if you continue to feel guilty, it's not from him. But yes, he's going to step in, and there should be this awareness of a screw-up, of a sin, and there should be this turning to God. There should be this conviction. Ah, man, that does stink. I did screw up. And you take that to the Father, and because as a believer, you stand in a state of forgiveness, you say, I confess this, God. Uh, I receive your forgiveness, and I walk in freedom. And then you, are, you walk in freedom. And if you continue to live under condemnation, that ain't from God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit convicts, has you turn to God, and then you walk in freedom. But if you continue to live out of a spirit of guilt, not of him, that's not him. That's not what he came to do. And then look at verse 14. It's here we see the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit. His purpose is to illuminate the gospel. It's to bring glory to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to bring Jesus glory. So listen to me. So when you are filled with the Spirit, we look like Jesus, but in our skin. We look just like him and how he would live, how he would love. But it's in our skin. And that's being filled with the Holy Spirit because we're giving glory back to Jesus. That's the ultimate goal for the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus. And so if you see someone who says, I'm filled with the Spirit, yet they spend most of their time talking about themselves and their own experience with the Spirit of God, I have reason to doubt whether they're really filled with the Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks through someone, you tend to forget about the person speaking. You don't even think about the Holy Spirit. You think about Jesus, because that's what the Holy Spirit wants. Not you to think about them and how cool they are and how awesome they are and all this cool stuff they just did. They want you to think about them. That's not spirit-filled, spirit-led. 
It is pointing all the way back to Jesus. That's spirit-filled. That is being spirit-led. That's what the Spirit wants you to do right now. Think about Jesus. Not me. Not anyone else. Jesus. Now today, we do live in a smaller world. Not in literal miles, but in virtual miles. It is easier to reach around this globe to and fro, back and forth, so much easier today now than it ever has been. We can do some pretty great things. Jesus was fully aware as the creator that the printing press would be so advantageous for the gospel. Fully aware of the internet and how advantageous it could be for the gospel. But only through the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes what he has given us, the gifts that he has given us, and then has made this world as such that we can even do greater things than he did. But it starts with acknowledgement, we need the Spirit of God to empower us, to make it happen, to glorify Jesus. We can't be like the Ephesus dozen who didn't know about the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God in our life. I mean, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples in John 14, he says, no, I, I will not abandon you as orphans. It wasn't right before, but before he, he did go to the Father, he said, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. He said, there is a second coming of Christ that he will return. But he's saying, you're not going to be an orphan in this time. I'm coming. God is coming. The Spirit is coming. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus went back to heaven, he did not become an absentee God. He simply came to his disciples as a different person. And the mystery of the Trinity is that only one God exists in three persons. And each person is distinct from the other two. But in experiencing one, you experience, you experience the one God who is them all. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, ready for a rich relationship, desiring an intimate relationship with you. And so for the next four weeks, we're really going to unpack what that looks like and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you and how that relationship can be all that it is meant to be. Now listen, if you're in that Acts 19 group and you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe you had a belief in the church. You know how they believed in John's baptism? Maybe your baptism was that of a church. And you never really trusted Jesus. You just trusted the church. And what I mean by that is what the church provided. Oh, it's like, well, they had good programming. It was a quality Sunday morning. And there was good stuff on Wednesday nights. They even had this Sunday night thing, and it was really good. Listen, that's not Jesus. Maybe your faith has been a baptism of sorts in your good works. That ain't going to cut it. Your good is not good enough when the standard is perfection. Today, would you get that right and put your faith and trust in Jesus? The only one who can save. The only one who can change your life. The only one that will set you free. And the only one who will give you the spirit to guide you the rest of your life. And so I want to enter into a ministry time. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to share a little bit, but I want to go ahead and have the worship team kind of be prepared to lead us musically.
And so as they're getting set, don't worry about them or anything that's happening. I want you to focus in. If you never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you want to do that, maybe it was the baptism that spurred you on that we saw as a demonstration of our faith in Jesus. Or maybe it was the scripture. Maybe it was something in the music. But if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you pray this and just nail that down today and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. You might be watching on Facebook Live and hearing my voice right now, and God ordained this moment for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're in this room, and you right now know in your heart you've never done that. You had some other type of baptism or just some other belief, but you've never really believed in Jesus. Would you pray something like this? God, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned. I have. I've messed up. I own it. I've made mistakes in my life. I've sinned. But right now, I believe. I believe in Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God. Died on the cross for me. Came back to life. Is Lord and Savior. And so God, I'm asking you, forgive me of every sin I've ever committed or will commit. Forgive me of all sin. Come in and take over. Be my boss. You, you call the shots. You be the master. Forgive me of all my sin. Be my Savior. And be honest here. Say, God, I don't understand everything right now in this moment. This is new. But I commit. I'm in. I fo- I'm going to follow you. No one look around. If you prayed that prayer, that's belief. That's your faith. You're sitting in it. I'm in. If you prayed that with me for the first time, would you just slip your hand up? No one looking around. Just say, I really meant that. Listen, we as a church, we're here for you. Love you. Maybe on Facebook Live, you can comment, message us. We want to help you be all that you can be in Jesus. Now, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is longing for a richness with you, an intimate relationship with you. And I'm going to even invite you. We're going to have a, a time of just spending with the Lord. At this table by the baptistry where we were, there, there are the elements of the Lord's Supper. I want to invite you to take that in this time. There's the juice, a cracker, and that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so in a minute, I'm just going to pray. Then I want you to pray. I want you to be on your knees. Or if you want someone to pray for you, I'll be available. If you want to go partake of the Lord's Supper, if you want to stand and sing. Listen, this time is meant for the Lord to do His work, for the Holy Spirit to move. So right now, God, I ask for freedom in this place. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. Set us free. Strengthen our families. Strengthen our marriages, our relationships. Bring healing. Holy Spirit, minister in ways that I can't even think of. I pray for your freedom in this place. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much much for listening. God bless.